Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making things and baking things and generally doing things the long way around. So what have you been up to recently? Because we normally start by talking about what we've been making. I've started a punch needle rug. Mmm. Because... So I'm the kind of person that has a favourite kind of snail. <laughs> that's, that's why we're friends. So I'm making a punch needle rug of a grove snail. Mm. And What's it's also going to have the word effervescent on it because I'm also far too online. Okay, that's a meme that I, I don't know. So um, uh, I, I will explain it to you later. <laughs> um, Can you explain what a grove snail is? Yeah, so it's a very common kind of snail in the UK. It has sort of an orange shell with a brown stripe going around the spiral. Okay. And one time I fell into a red ant nest and didn't get bitten at all and also found a grove snail shell. So now they're my favourite. That's an incredibly lucky experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, now I'm making a, a punch needle rug of a grove snail. Amazing. In tribute to the mighty grove snail. Protector of children who fall in ants' nests. Oh no, this was like a month ago. <laughs> And I'm not the most stable on my feet. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when you said one time, I assumed it was a childhood memory. Oh, no. No, this one time, like three weeks ago. Um, I've also made, I also made some um, toffee apple ice cream. Ooh. Oh, wow, that sounds delicious. So we made a... Did it? properly fancy that made a toffee custard and an apple compote and then made put the custard in the ice cream machine to make sort of gelato type ice cream and then put the apple compote on it and then some salted caramel sauce and it was very good <sighs> and I highly recommend doing exactly that why would you do this to me I, <laughs> I've just had breakfast and now I want ice cream <laughs> I'm very sorry that sounds delicious. Well, well what have you... hmm? uh, yeah, I made some bread. <laughs> bread is good. For the first time in a while, it was a wholemeal uh, walnut loaf. Oh. But I haven't got a lot of experience making wholemeal bread, and I didn't realise that it, it doesn't rise as much as uh, white flour. So it's a bit dense. Um, but I guess, like... I mean, it's all, it tastes good and it's all cooked and everything. So there's nothing wrong with a dense bread, I guess. Um, I like a dense bread, personally. <laughs> yeah. Apparently it, it toasts well, so. Mm. It just, I don't know, if it, it feels, I don't know if it actually does, but it feels like it fills you up more. Yeah, I think, it, uh, maybe it, maybe it does, because, you know, there's the same amount of bread just in a smaller space. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, it's quite nice. Um, yeah, and Great and I've time. just been getting very nerdy about my spinning <laughs> this week. Um, absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's one of those things where, like, the more about I learn about it, the more I realise how much of a beginner I am, even though I've been spinning for, like, a year and a half. Um, at, well, longer on a drop spindle, but I'm more specifically talking about 
spinning on a flyer wheel but um yeah so just things like the yarn structure and the amount of twist you put in and how that affects the final yarn that you end up making um like whether it's a like a tough yarn or a really soft bouncy one or like a drapiness like it's it's really interesting so uh yeah i'm gonna embark on my first um garment knitted from hand spun yarn soon so it's just it's just gonna be a little vest um so i don't need to spin that much but yeah that's that's exciting for me uh yeah vertical integration huh it it was a a business joke oh (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm i'm not businessy enough (laughs) um i don't know how to business i'm afraid um so I, I believe that today's episode is slightly relevant to my ice cream adventure. It is indeed. I like that actually segues very well. So thank you for making toffee apple ice cream. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I can't believe that we haven't done this yet. But I'm going to talk about apples today. And this might be a bit of a part one, actually, because I don't think I'm going to fit everything I want to say in a reasonable episode length. <laughs> Two-part apple special, I'm here for it. Yeah, so I mean, the the part two will probably come somewhat later, but um, but yeah, this this is an initial um, introduction <laughs> to the history and folklore of apples. Uh, I realise I do now have to call this episode Apples 101. Yes. I was hinting at that, thank you. <laughs> so, um, and I want to dedicate this episode, actually. Because um, I, yeah, I I mean, no, we don't normally do that. But I would like to de- dedicate this episode to Dr. Amak Jangaliev for reasons that we will go into in a moment. I think I remember this name from when we did domestication. You probably do, yeah. Um So I have a bit of a personal connection with the subject of apples as well. Um, My my granddad uh, ran an orchard. So it actually was a fruit and flower farm. So they would grow uh, fruit and flowers to send to market in London and also to sell locally. And they grew a lot of apples, as you might expect. sort of being one of the most ubiquitous British fruits and the southeast was was known for its apple growing. But yeah, um, apples are like the default fruit in Britain, aren't they? Yeah. So actually as as we were talking about before the episode, we were chatting and uh Liz mentioned apple being like, oh is it you, you said apples were your favourite fruit and then you were like, I'm so basic. Um yeah. <laughs> and yeah, let, let me tell you. There is nothing basic about apples and I will die on this hill. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, we still have my mum has actually become because she uh, would would work on the orchard when she was younger. 
um and it's it's kind of a passion of hers as well and she grows lots of apple we have like 10 different apple varieties in the garden um yes um so it's it's actually been a mission this summer i want to learn fruit tree pruning from her um so yeah hopefully i will actually (laughs) know how to properly grow an apple tree um so apples are like like we said something that's considered quite basic but they're also they're everywhere in mythology and and like folk culture as well Mm. like they're a very symbolic fruit uh i possibly most famously is the apple of eden uh in the bible but that one interestingly probably wasn't an apple um like it it doesn't actually say it's an apple in the bible it just says the fruit of knowledge yeah um but but western culture has just decided that's an apple uh, because we we already have this symbolism of the apple being something like almost mythical something that represents like beauty and sexuality and fertility and and all that jazz yeah because um, it pops up in the trojan wars doesn't it yes the apple of the, discord the the apple that goes to the the fairest and then <laughs> the wars happen as a direct result yeah um which i only learned fairly recently actually uh so yeah an, an apple is directly responsible for the Trojan War, if you look at it in that kind of... I mean, there's a lot of other <laughs> people that are directly yeah. responsible it's... for the Trojan War. Um, no one... the Rube Goldberg machine of the Trojan War. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so an apple inscribed to the fairest is dropped into a party into the middle of three goddesses by Eris, the goddess of discord. Um, and th- this apple is what represents the most beautiful goddess and what starts off the Trojan War. So again, apples being associated with both beauty and discord, chaos. Um, we also have the apples of youth in Norse mythology um, that oh, are... Ethan. Yes, Ethan. Um, and I always thought because I had a... A book of myths when I was a kid, and it's it spelled the goddess's name Eden, and I thought that was what she was called. But then I saw it recently and realized, oh no, it's 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 an F. Um, yeah, so it's it is pronounced Ethan, right? Um, I think so. Yeah, but I've I've normally see it um, transliterated starting with an I as well. Yeah, that is the thing with transliteration it's you kind of do what you want to make the sounds right <laughs> exactly um yeah so anyway um we have the apples of youth in a norse mythology um of, of which there are various shenanigans from people trying to steal them and or gods um and isn't isn't one of the famous ones where loki steals them and then the gods start getting old <laughs> just like oh no what's happening I haven't read that one, but it would not surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so there we go again, associated with, with 
long life, fertility. Apparently in Chinese culture, they're a symbol, the apple blossom is a symbol of female beauty. Um, in the 1001 Nights, there's a story that involves a magical apple from Samarkand that can heal any any illness. Uh, and then we have things like uh, the in in Britain the custom of wassailing. So in the beginning of the year, you go around all of your apple trees with a mug of cider, and you sing a song, and you pour the cider on the roots of the apple trees to uh, ensure like a, a good crop of apples in the coming year. Um, and I that's I think that's also part of a wider custom of like people would go around all of the places on the farm and just do a general like blessings for the new year and stuff. Mm. Um, um, in Irish mythology as well, apples show up being associated with the other world. Okay. Um, ah. I think it's the story of Bran. They they grow on on this branch in actually in the other world. Oh wow. Okay, I didn't know that one. Um yeah, so they're they're kind of everywhere. Um mm. and not not just in um in Western mythology where you would think they might be more associated. Um and that's because apples are at, were actually distributed along the Silk Road routes. So okay. they they kind of ended up going toward going sort of west towards Europe and, and east towards China. Um and then eventually over to North America as well. So that that's why they're kind of everywhere across like Eurasia and and then North America. So where did um, where did they actually come from then? Because the, the Silk Road is is a large area. Yes, and I'm very glad you asked me that because <laughs> it's going to take us to the Tian Shan Mountains in Kazakhstan. Um, now, apples are members of the Rosakai family. Rosakai? Rosakai? I don't know Latin. Um, <laughs> so the same family as, as other fruit trees like plum and pear. Um, but the thing about apples is that you can't take a seed and then grow the same apple. What? Um, yeah, which, which is why all those apple trees that Johnny Appleseed famously planted across the US, uh, most of them are just wild apples. <laughs> so what, what apples does it just make? It, like pre-domestication apples? Kind of, yeah. It's kind Ow. of like you, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, when you when you plant an apple seed, it will grow a tree, but that that apple tree won't necessarily be the variety of apple that you took the seed from. How though? Um, <laughs> um, I I think it's because so I'm not a biologist. <laughs> um, I spend a lot of time like pointing out that I'm not not a, in any way a scientist on this channel, but on the, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I I. I think it's got something to do with um, the the way that the apple is domesticated um, is 
like you you can't you can't domesticate it in the traditional sense of like I'm gonna like have these two plants and like breed them together and then get like a mix of different characteristics because the apple will always revert to its its kind of wild genes as it were um because what's contained in that seed is just no like no matter what you grow from it it will have the same kind of seed in it so it yeah um how do you make different varieties then if you can't breed the apples you graft them so grafting is a process by which you take a small part of the the tree that you want to grow and then you take a rootstock um which is just just the root so there are a few different types of rootstock hanging around um but there's there's kind of mainly one that is used mostly in in Europe because it's like a hard wearing uh, a very hardy kind of tree so they use like the that that is the basis of the tree and then you make a cut into the tree um it doesn't have to be a, a particularly deep cut but you sort of make a diagonal cut into the tree and then you stick in your bit of the variety that you want to grow and you bind it on there and you just let them meld together yeah and so you can have trees with three four different kinds of apple on them you're right apples are not basic apples are frankenstein fruits mm -hmm. basically uh, you can even have trees with that are apple and pear because they're the same family sure uh yeah <laughs> i wonder how many different fruits you could graft onto one tree i wonder how many i think you can get quite a few on there i'm sure i've heard of um particularly 19th century guard like rich people's gardens they love that kind of stuff um like oh, come, come and see my amazing tree that has like five different fruits on it um yeah I one <laughs> i know right um so and um we have, you know, the whole legend with Isaac Newton and the apple tree. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that apple tree was apparently a flower of Kent, um, was like the tree that was in the garden of his house. And the University of York Physics Department has a graft of that tree in its courtyard. Which is quite cool. cool. <laughs> so if you live in York, you can get an apple that is basically cloned from Isaac Newton's tree. Yep. And, uh, and we, the... I know we have people listening who live in York. <laughs> yes. Apparently the um, the physics uh, like welcome party for freshers is an apple pie party with apples from that tree. That's adorable. <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, <laughs> this All this is relevant to... The mountains of Chanshan, Kazakhstan, because in the mountains of Chanshan in Kazakhstan is an apple forest that has it, it's very very old, like very very old, and 
it contains a wide variety of apple trees, wild apple trees, where the apples are edible. And that's kind of a big deal because most wild apples are not that great. Uh, mm. Like crab apples are just famously quite small, hard and sour. Um, although they can make good jam. But you, you wouldn't just eat them off the tree. But the apples in this forest, there are ones that you can just eat off the tree. And so that the prevailing theory is that that is where these different varieties of apples spread from along the Silk Road. Um, so cool. Yeah, basically from this this area. Um, I mean, there may have been more uh, across the area, but this this forest is kind of the only one left that we know of. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, so apparently, um, it it it's like 165 million years ago that that this forest developed um which, which is incredible um so there's the the malus Siversii, which is the variety that grows in this forest and it in the early 20th century um it started to be studied so the the well-known Russian biologist Nikolai Vavilov uh, was the first to discover the apples in this forest. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't have a chance to continue his work because he was sent to the Gulag by Stalin. Um, and then, um, but the, the work was continued by the Kazakh scientist Amak Changaliev, who basically spent his it was his life's work um classifying the apples in this forest studying them like he had this massive thesis that was a detailed um like a uh book of every inf information on like every tree in the forest basically every kind of apple um and yeah he he just did so much work on it um between the 1930s and when he passed away in 2009 uh, and he actually got in quite a lot of trouble for this because as part of stalin's um policy of developing these areas like he basically wanted to to cut it all down and have industry in that area. And Jagalia was like, no, I don't think you should do that. Um, and he... Saviour so, of the apples. Yeah, he basically put his whole life's work into preserving this forest as well and, like, saving this this knowledge for future generations. Um, and it got him... So I can't... I, I got most of this information from a film called Les Origines de la Pomme um, by a French filmmaker. Uh, and she, uh, I believe, worked with Jangaliev, and she basically made this film about his life, but also the origins of the apple. Um, and so I haven't watched the film in a while, so I can't remember exactly <laughs> what happened. But um, I, yeah, if I remember correctly, he ended up getting exiled um, 
from Kazakhstan. Uh, but then after the end of the Cold War, he went straight back and, and continued his work. Um, and him. yeah, and, and ended up setting up this organization uh, to, to, to like, like preserve this forest because he believed it was very important because a lot of the apple varieties we have today are quite susceptible to pests and mm -hmm. to diseases. And this original apple forest has varieties or types of apple that are naturally resistant and so they could be used to develop varieties that are more resilient um in the case of you know some, something like um that disease that killed off like all of the bananas <laughs> um yeah I, I yeah would not, like i would not want to lose the apples mm. This this guy um, is like I I was kind of joking when I called him the savior of the apples, but I think he might actually be the savior of the apples. He really is. He really is. Um, I just he. That's why I wanted to dedicate this episode to him because I think he was a wonderful man. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that is the origin of the apple, which then travelled out um, on the trading routes across Europe and Asia uh, and obviously became really popular because it's delicious uh, and that was that was aided by the development of grafting which no one knows exactly when or where that was invented because it's one of those techniques that seems to be invented kind of independently of each other around the same time because it's just a thing that everyone wants to do. Mm -hmm. um, however, there is a reference to it um, around uh, 300 BC uh, by Theophrastus, a pupil of Aristotle, um, who wrote a treatise on propagation and describes a variation of grafting using a rootstock. Um, so, okay, so figured that out fairly early then. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's thought that that was you know part of the and not part of the initial agricultural revolution, um, but still quite an early development. Um, and so then we are able to to spread these apple varieties around. Uh, and to make new varieties. And so you get like, there's just, there's like hundreds, if not thousands of different apple varieties in the world. Um, and some of them are really old. For example, there's a variety called Corpenduplat that was thought to have been brought to Britain by the Romans. Uh, and is still grown in some places today. And I think think we might have one actually, um, which is quite a nice, it's a nice eating apple. Um, and then we've got eating apples and cooking apples, of course. Um, so things like your Bramleys, uh, your early Arthur Turners, um, cooking apples. And then, so so their flavour is is more brought out 
um once once the cooking process happens and then you've got the eating apples which obviously you can just pick off the tree and are delicious and like loads of different flavors of apples so i i could go on <laughs> about this um but yeah so you you've got these apples all across europe uh and asia as well and then um moving across to north america with settlers um and you have the the famous story of johnny appleseed who moves across the country uh going west and planting apples everywhere so that um when people arrive they'll be able to have food um yeah which I've, as i've just explained uh if not, he was doing it from seed it. it's not really gonna work <laughs> he was doing i mean best. yeah yeah like it's a cool it's a cool idea um <laughs> Although, and, um, I don't know, the story of Johnny Appleseed feels kind of weird because it's like, ah, there was definitely nothing to eat here before planting apples. Yeah. Ignore those thriving societies over there. Yes, I mean, it's it's not like uh, there was no, no um, substitute for the apple. Um, but, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... In the 19th century, this sort of really took off with the um, the development of loads of new varieties. Um, I mean, slightly, partly in the, the 18th century as well, but um, the, the 19th century being one of industrial revolution in many places, um, that also extended to agriculture. And people were wanting to develop, you know, new new varieties of food as well that could sort of be scaled up to feed these new societies. And it wasn't just states and governments doing this. Um, it was also, you know, everyone who was rich enough to have a big garden kind of wanted in on it, like it was kind of a like a a little status symbol almost to like oh here's this new variety that was created by my gardener in my garden um so it wasn't like most of these people were doing it themselves like they all had gardeners <laughs> yeah um, it was kind of the the big hobby for vicars at that time wasn't it it was like i'm going to invent a new rose oh yeah <laughs> roses is one of the famous ones as well um and in fact they are same family because roses produce a fruit rose hips um oh delicious ah uh, yeah i'm gonna make some rose hip syrup in a few weeks it's gonna be great uh <laughs> full of vitamin c yeah, so rose hip tea quite a lot in the winter mm, oh nice uh yeah so then you get a lot of these new varieties of apple being developed and named after the lord or lady of the manor <laughs> so we've got a lord darby and a lady sudley in our garden uh and arthur turner which i'm not sure i mean sometimes they end up being named after the actual person that either made or discovered them for example granny smith uh granny smith was from sussex she emigrated to australia uh and she found this apple tree growing just just around 
and she kind of asked people and they were like oh I don't know that's just always been there uh, and she thought the apples were quite nice and then she sort of took took a graft and started spreading them around and that's why granny smiths are called granny smiths so she, so she didn't actually invent the granny smiths thing. She, she just she marketed them no she just found it apparently <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, which presumably from what you've said means that someone else invented that variety and either took it to australia or invented it in australia and then she was just like this is mine now I mean, it sounds like it might be one of those that was not necessarily invented by someone, but um, it it just happened. <laughs> okay. Or possibly it was in someone's garden and then there wasn't a garden anymore, but the tree was still there and then it was found. Yeah. And the um, myth is on thin ice. <laughs> <laughs> we will find out more. We will continue with the trial of Granny Smith. Uh, <laughs> Episode. Yeah, part when we do apples part two. <laughs> um yeah, so uh, and and then we get to today, we have these trademarked varieties of apple, like Pink Lady. Um I you, you might notice that's always sold as a brand. Like mm. it's it's a registered trademark, the Pink Lady Apple. Um, so, like, presumably you can't just grow that in your garden and then sell it? I don't know. Um, yeah. But, like, sadly... The Pink Lady Factory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants to gorilla grow these, you have my <laughs> blessing. Um... <laughs> You won't so, help. You just stand there like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sadly, you can't get most varieties in the supermarket. You get your Galas, your Brayburns, your Granny Smiths, your Golden Delicious, which I I have I have family beef with Golden Delicious. Oh, family beef! I have, yeah, I have beef because they're not delicious. <laughs> they are not. But also, I have inherited grudges against the golden delicious apple i mean you have to elaborate now <laughs> so the golden delicious was heavily marketed by the french government in the 1960s and 70s as this delicious apple um they had this advert that was like it's all about le crunch um and it worked and these were these were like really marketed in Britain and sold there. Um, and my grandfather, as you might expect, being the owner of an apple related business, was not too happy about this. Um, but ironically, the Golden Delicious apple tastes better if it's grown in Britain. <laughs> it's not that. The soil or something. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. It might be something to do with the climate. Like, it actually prefers a more temperate climate. Um, but yeah, it just the ones that are grown in like this really warm south of France climate, they, they don't taste as much. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so like, not that delicious. Uh, and also, interloper. 
I know that's not fair because everything's an interloper once you get far down enough. But Bloody like, it's, an it's it's just <laughs> it's just my like family loyalty, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's so beautiful. that's um, that's why I am prejudiced against the corn delicious apple. But yeah, it's um, unfortunately a lot of these older varieties um, or even these just more diverse varieties, uh, they're dying out because they're not as commercially viable. Like you can't just either they don't keep for long enough or um, they're not big enough or they I mean, even you can only get one variety of cooking apple in most shops. And that's the Bramley. Um, and even then like they only sell like there's just one crate of it it's not like there's a whole row of the different varieties of eating apple and then there's just one small amount of cooking apple um yeah i which... mean I, I i have a problem with the lack of variety of apples in supermarkets because they've, they've stopped selling my favorite apple really what's that uh cox's orange pippin oh i love a cox I... <laughs> I've I've stopped seeing them in supermarkets. Oh no. Um Yeah. I oh I didn't I didn't know that. That's such a shame. Um Yeah, so I and things like um we have an Ellison's orange, which is an apple that tastes orangey and it's Ooh. amazing. But it would never be grown commercially because they're small and they go a bit soft after a couple of weeks. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's just it. It just makes me sad that things like this will probably end up being lost. Although, um, there's definitely a lot of organisations and individuals that care about this sort of thing and want to mm. preserve these varieties and um and keep them going. Um, and you can even, although there's been a decline in whole orchards um, in, in a lot of places in the last century, um, that doesn't mean the trees have gone. A lot of times, like the orchard might have gone out of business, but they didn't just cut all the trees down. Like if the land hasn't been developed, they're still there. Or even if it has, there might be one or two of them still around. So yeah, cutting them down would just cost more money, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you can just find old apple trees hanging around and it can be fairly easy to identify the apples and then you could just take a take a little graft of it and grow it at home. Um, so, you know. <laughs> And that is actually how quite a few varieties have been rediscovered. Um, yeah, so it's it's not all a bleak outlook. Um, and, you know, thanks to the dedicated work of people like Amak Jangaliev, um, the, the progenitor of the domesticated apple is still there and could be used to develop new varieties. So it's, it's actually good. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so that is um that's where I'm gonna leave it for the moment. Um because I mean obviously I've missed quite a lot out there. Um but 
yeah, it's it's just going to go on forever <laughs> if I try and talk about the entire history of the apples. So I think, um, yeah, if um, in the future when we do sort of a part two, I'll probably talk more about how it was used in recipes historically, um, how it was stored, like different kinds of varieties that were popular um, in different parts of the world, that kind of thing. Um, but for now, I I just wanted to go with kind of the origins of the apple and the varieties, why we have so many and, and how it's spread and that kind of thing. Um, there we go. Well, you've definitely made me want to eat an apple. <laughs> there you go. I That's sort of appetizing. I know. Like, I, oh, if, if I could one day visit this forest, that would be like an absolute dream. But yeah, one day, one day. Um, there is there is a movement now in um, Kazakhstan apparently um, to conserve the apple. Uh, and in fact, the I'm just gonna, just going to check on this, but I'm pretty sure what I read was correct. That the capital. Oh no, okay, it's not. <laughs> just cut that out. Ah, okay. Ah, okay, I wasn't wrong, exactly. Um, so Almaty, which was the capital of Kazakhstan from 1929 to 1997, um, it literally means, like, Apple City. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> But sadly, a lot of the apples, like most of the apples available in Kazakhstan today, aren't grown there. They're Chinese apples. So, but but yeah, there's um apparently there is now, um you know thanks to the work of these people, there's now, um, like a a push to take care of this place in Kazakhstan, and there's like an organization that advocates for, um, yeah for preserving it and and taking care of it which is great hello i'm mod pencil from probably bad rpg ideas if you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real and what is the best rules for an oh then listen to the probably bad podcast which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also youtube or check out our tumblr and twitter okay so what's our local larder today? Um, I wanted to talk about uh, tequila oh. and, and mezcal. Okay. Um, well, I, I recently learned that the tequila and mezcal have kind of a, a squares and rectangles thing. Um, so I, I thought I would talk about it, which... I, th I think should be an, a nice short one to go with the with with the long apples. Yeah, sorry, I've got no idea how long I just talked for. <laughs> um, so, like I said, the it's kind of a squares and rectangles thing where all tequila is mezcal, but not all mezcal is tequila. Right. Um. So mezcal is 
a liquor distilled from agave. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about 30 different types of agave that you can use. Um, tequila is specifically distilled from the blue agave. And right. Also has a... I don't know if it's a UNESCO geographical thing or if it's just a bit this is widely accepted, but it also has to be distilled in the Mexican state of um, Jalisco. Okay. Oh, so it's like a an origin thing. Yeah. Tequila hmm. is specifically from that one agave and made in that one state. I see. Oh, so do, does it have a different... I assume it has a different taste from the other agave plants then. Um, yeah, the so the blue agave has a sweeter taste to it. Ah. So tequila wow. is going to taste dis- different from most other mezcal. Mm-hmm. I assume the one pound tequila shots that they served at Willow were not the um, certified oh, <laughs> tequila. Um, I mean, they might have been because a, a lot of tequila is produced. Um, but it might have been mezcal. Okay. Ah, so is mezcal like a cheaper version or well me- mezcal is ge- the general name for distilled agave basically if it's a drink made from agave cactus it's a mezcal oh okay i see oh so kind of how like how champagne is a wine but like a sparkling wine but it's only champagne if it comes from that specific region. Exactly. It's it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's like the here is a highly specific variety of of this drink. Okay. I think I think mezcal is less well known as a word okay. than tequila is in the UK. Right. Yeah, because I've heard or sometimes like they will have mezcal in a bar and I've been like, oh, what's that? But I know what tequila is. Yeah. Um, yes, so mezcal generally um, probably goes back to at least the Olmec civilization. Wow. Um, we know that the Aztecs made it because we have accounts from um, Don Pedro Sanchez de Tang- Tangle? Tangle? Mm-hmm. Um, was a, a conquistador. Um, yeah, it counts from him and other conquistadors of basically, they ran out of brandy and started copying the Aztecs who were making mezcal. Um, but we now think that they probably themselves got the idea from the Olmec. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, this guy Don Pedro sets up a tequila factory in Jalisco in about sixteen hundred, 
Um, and I, <laughs> tequila started being made, um, you know, when things say by royal decree? Mm hmm. Um, there was tequila by royal decree um, under license from the Spanish King Carlos IV, the uh, Cuervo family, who still make it. It's the fifth mm. biggest brand of tequila. is Cuervo, the US and then elsewhere in the 1880s okay. um, as tequila so I think possibly the, the reason that tequila is more well known than mezcal generally is because that's what was exported was specifically the tequila ah I see um, but yeah it started being started sort of becoming a generic term for mezcal until the Mexican government in 1974 said, no, this is what tequila is. Mm -hmm. It's different from mezcal and it's also ours. It's Mexican <laughs> intellectual property. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, there are over 900 brands of tequila. Wow. And then obviously elsewhere in largely Mexico, but also other places in South and Central America. And a couple, I think there's a couple of places in the southern states as well. Mm -hmm. Mezcal. So it's, it's this huge thing. Yeah, that is a big industry. Um, interestingly... The uh, Tequila Regulatory Council of Mexico um, only allowed flavoured tequilas to be called tequila in 2004. Okay. That's interesting. It's, I mean, it's, it's big business for Mexico. Yeah. As you can tell from, from the existence of 900 different brands. <laughs> so it makes sense that they want to protect it. Oh, yeah. I mean, much like Italian cheeses. Mm. But, I mean, it's... Like, George Clooney has a brand of tequila. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wait, does it... If, so, if someone wanted... To, say if I wanted to have my own brand of tequila, would I still have to have it produced in Mexico? Oh, yeah, otherwise it wouldn't be tequila. Otherwise it wouldn't be tequila, yes. <laughs> Specifically, you would have to have it produced in um, in Jalisco. Uh, oh, in right, Jalisco. yeah. Wow. But yeah, there's, a lot of uh... um, the tequila brand uh, Casa Amigos, portmanteau of Casa and Amigos, very creative, George, um, was co-founded by George Clooney oh. in 2013. Wait, doesn't that just mean house friends? Yeah, it's a portmanteau of house and friends. House friends. More friends. 
Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, then tequila really takes off in 1936 with the invention of the margarita. Okay, yeah. And yeah, like I said, it's now this huge thing. You get craft tequilas, like same as you get craft beers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tequila variations of existing cocktails, like the um, Oaxaca Old Fashioned, which is an old Ooh. fashioned but made with tequila. Wow, so interesting. Um, huh? Yeah, and me- mezcal just doesn't. You know, Mescal doesn't have novelty songs written about it. <laughs> um, also tends to be darker in colour, interestingly. Dark, okay. Presumably something to do with the makeup of the blue agave. Ah. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a short local order, but I did not know that there were... that tequila was Mescal or... That it was such a huge thing, and I thought that you would find that interesting. I I did find it very interesting. Like I'm not a regular tequila drinker, shall we say? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I really want to try just mezcal now. Mm. Hmm. Oh, thanks so... for enabling me. <laughs> I've given you an excuse to buy alcohol. Yes. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, if you want to support us and maybe help us one day go to the apple forest in Kazakhstan, we would need a lot of patrons for that, but we are on Patreon. Yes. Add bread and thread. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at bread and thread, where we'll have teasers for upcoming episodes, interesting facts, um, and pictures and things from episodes um we also post those same things on tumblr as bread and thread we are on youtube also as bread and thread the the branding is strong Um, (laughs) if you want to suggest an episode or a local larder or just say hi um you can email bread and thread podcast at gmail.com and I think that's everything. That, will... uh, yeah, I think that's all of our all the pies that we have our fingers in. <laughs> so we will be back in a couple of weeks.